What is good, everybody? Welcome back to Diamond Talk. We are here with Rob and Nick today. And it's happened. Look, we, we talked about it last week. These playoff series have been kind of slow and not exciting. And, you know, unless you're the fan of the winning team, it's kind of been bleh. But we got it. This whole playoff baseball hype that we talk about every year, about it being the best playoff series in, in all the sports, it's back, baby. We got it. Look, the Astros and the Rangers are doing it for us. Like, I'm telling you, like, I don't know if you're allowed to say I have half chub on TV or whatever the hell we're at, but like these series right now, they're getting me there, guys. Houston right now is up 3-2 on, on the range on uh, the Rangers. We'll talk about that. And Philly up 3-2 on the Diamondbacks. That series is interesting because I don't think any of us thought that Diamondbacks were going to win a game. Or or I think Nick said a five-game uh, uh, win for the what's it called for the Phillies. Before we get to those series, though, we ca- I kind of want to talk about what's going on on the league. But before we get to that, yo, Rob, Nick, how you guys doing? Yo, what's going on, guys? I- I'm doing well. Yeah, definitely. We definitely have a lot more energy in these series compared to the to the DSs. The CSs have definitely been bringing that heat, and we're going to dive all into that today. Yo, I'm doing great, man. This is playoff baseball, like you said. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what we were expecting. Uh, and it's coming out of both series, which was unexpected for sure. So I'm ready to talk about it. Let's do it. Before we get to like the real fun stuff, we, we got to talk about some of the stuff happening around the league. Uh, most notably, some of the news that came out of the Marlins out of all places, right? Whenever you have Marlins news, it's not usually like a good thing, I feel like. Uh, but so here's what's happening. Uh, Kim Ang, who was the GM for the Marlins this last couple of years, brought in by Derek Jeter. Uh, she basically had, or she and the team had mutual options to continue her being a GM. Apparently, as the story is, uh, they tried to bring bring someone above her head in player player ops or whatever it was, and she basically turned down her option because of that. Since then, she's gotten she's gotten a couple of offers, some some interesting offers. So, guys, look, let, let, let's start there. And, and Nick, I'll start with you because I know you have some more information about what's going on with the Kim and situation, some other teams looking for her services. But, I mean, what do you think when you heard the news? I thought it was amazingly bad by the Marlins. Like, you were on a good trajectory with hiring the first female head office person, and, you know, you had some good publicity, and then you just do a Marlins thing where you clear everything, and all of a sudden, you know, you just, you just go back to being typical Marlins. A year after Jeter leaves, like, if a guy like Jeter leaves your organization voluntarily, you know you have something going on inside. And then when you pull a stunt like this, trying to hire somebody over Kim Ang, and then her declining to come back, um, you know, the, the state of baseball in Florida is absolutely trash. You know, no matter what Florida team you're trying to root for, you just may want to jump ship before they leave the state. But it's it's really bad. As far as Kim Ang, I mean, good for her for turning it down and knowing her worth. And when you talk about knowing her worth, she apparently got offered for an interview for the Boston Red Sox uh, front of a spot replacing Heim Bloom. And she said no. And that's very surprising because if you're talking about somebody like Kim Ang, who's obviously very intelligent and is going to be wanted on a lot of front offices, for her to turn down the Boston Red Sox with such a storied franchise, such history, like she could really make a name for herself and clear a lot of paths for females in the front office of baseball if she could turn something around in Boston. And they're not necessarily, I mean, they're in a tough division that we've talked about all the time. And, but it's still a good job to want to have. So I'm not sure what happened there, but, you know, she's going to have her pick of the litter as far as what place she wants to go for the most part and what job she wants to have. And I'm really proud of her for, you know, knowing her worth and really making sure she's going to be in the right opportunity and probably not get blindsided like this again. She's probably knows a lot more about what's going on on the inside than a lot of us do since she's been in the front office for a couple of years now. Um, the other side to the Boston Red Sox is, you know, the Giants fired Gabe Kapler and they've got some names coming in for the managerial spot interview wise. He interviewed for that spot for Price Heim Bloom. And I hate to say it, but Boston, hold on to your seats because if, if that happens, like we've seen him fail in a couple different situations. And following the Giants as closely as I did, even not being a fan, he was never set up with a good team, with a good roster, with a good farm system. Like it was maximizing everything. And he had the front office to support that. But now that he's going to be in that front office, he's so analytical and he's just so different than everybody else. His success as a coach, if you want to call it that, is he connects with his players because he was a player and he has this strict, you know, rigid lifestyle that it's it's easy to follow when you're a player. Whether you like it or not, you can absolutely follow a manager like that or somebody that's a leader because you know what to expect. That goes a long way. He connected with his players. He's not going to get to do that if he's the head of president or president of baseball operations out in Boston. So that would be an interesting hire if they go that route. 
But from the Kim Ames side, I hope she gets like the dream job of wherever she wants to go. I'm not sure what other front office positions are going to be like opened up in this off season. Um, so she may be out of the game for a minute unless she kind of just takes something in the meantime. But um, I mean, it's I think it's a huge blow for the Marlins and for the future because I don't necessarily think that she was everything to get them where they are right now. But this was their first full season playoff appearance in, I mean, since 2000s. So she was a part of that along with Jeter. And now you've gotten probably two of the most namesake people that had you go that route to get into the playoffs are now gone from your front office. So Marlins baseball could be disastrous here for a while to come. Man, it's funny. You mentioned Gabe Kapler. My my girlfriend has like this like joke where she's like, I wish I had the confidence of a mediocre white man. And it's like, that's Gabe Kapler. The, the guy keeps failing upwards. It is insane. He wasn't necessarily a great player. Gets a great coaching job. Honestly, like Giants is a great coaching job, you know, especially with the guys they, they brought in there. And now he's getting, after missing the playoffs and having one of the worst second half fall offs in, you know, recent history, it's like, hey, man, come run a whole baseball operation. We think you can do it this time. Like, what is happening here? Um, for, for, for Kim Ang, um, one, nobody wants to go to race SAS Boston. Second thing is, like, like you mentioned, good for her. I don't know where she goes from here. She's going to have a market where she's going to be able to basically, in my opinion, she's going to be able to pick where she wants to go in, you know, obviously the, the, the right role. Like, I don't think she's going to go to, to you know, Los Angeles and say, oh, I want to be GM here, and they'll give her that job. But if she wants a position in player officer, if she wants a position in a, uh, you know, on a team like that, she'll definitely be able to do that. Uh, where she goes from here is going to be interesting. But, Rob, what about you, dude, man? What do you think about this this whole thing? Yeah, man, it, it's definitely in- interesting with Kim Yang um, when it comes to when it comes to the Marlins um, and that decision, because again, we mentioned it's a team that is had essentially a 15 game improvement. They made, they made the postseason. Like, it's not like she did anything wrong or or anything like that. She made a lot of good moves that put this team in the position that, that they're in. And, you know, a lot of us were predicting a, a lot more success for the, for the Marlins this upcoming season, whether it was the postseason or not. I think I had them at like 82 or 83 wins, at least for this year. I did expect like a like a 12 win improvement for them. They ended up having a 15 win improvement. Um, so and making the postseason, it's it's about as good as you can get for the roster that they currently have constructed. Um, and a lot of people were expecting, you know, an extension to come through for her and and possibly that relationship to continue. Um, so it def- I think it definitely surprised a lot of people. I think when you read a lot of the things that were mentioned about it, because they did mention that there were some philosophical differences between her and ownership and things like that. Obviously, when it came to, you know, them wanting to, to essentially put someone else in a position of power over her, um, while that can be understood in some ways, overall, it's going to come off as as negative attention from the Marlins, right? Because now you're now, yes, you were the first team to have the first female general manager in the history of the game. You're also the first team to be stupid enough to let the first female manager in the history of the game you know, let separate part ways with her after a very successful season for whatever your standards were coming into it. You know, like you mentioned, her market is going to be there no matter what, um, simply because there are a lot of teams that can use a general manager like her. Yeah, she's not going to be she's not going to be the next general manager of the New York Yankees. She's not going to be the next general manager of the Dodgers, the Braves, anything like that. But there's a lot of franchise that can that can use a, a Kim Yang as as their next GM. Um, and, and the thing, you know, when when it comes to it is, She's had to make some tough decisions, right? Like there was one thing that I read that came out where um, like one of the main decisions that she had to make while she, while general manager of the Marlins was when it came to hiring their new manager. Essentially amongst her and executives, there ended up being uh, from reports again, right? I don't know if this is 100% true, but from reports, there ended up being um, like a 5-2 vote at the time when they wanted to hire a manager that um, essentially went to uh, Matt Quattaro, who ended up, you know, taking the job in, in, um, in Kansas City. And this past season, the Royals had 106 losses, last place in the AL Central. And Kim Ang overruled that vote and decided to go with Skip Schumacher as the uh, as the um, as the new uh, manager of the Marlins. And look where that got him this past season, right? So it's tough decisions like that that are that were already being made that that pointed towards her way as being a good general manager, which makes this decision look even more poor on the end of the Marlins. So it, it's tough on that end, um, but it's going to be interesting to see where she ends up because she definitely should have a market out there, especially with the, with the success that she had. Um, and then, you know, looking at the, at the Giants situation for them, it's going to be interesting as well. I think one of the names that we brought up before 
which is going to be interesting all offseason is Bob Melvin. You know, is Bob Melvin a name that ends up making that transition from the San Diego Padres to the to the San Francisco Giants? I honestly think it would be a good move for both parties simply because I don't necessarily think that Bob Melvin is the type of manager that's needed for what the San Di- where the San Diego Padres are at this moment in time and the group of players that they have. I do think Bob Melvin fits better with the style of of baseball that is being played over in San Francisco and the intentions that they have in, in acquiring, you know, more talent in these coming years and everything like that. So that might be that might be a, a marriage that ends up working out. But it, it's going to be interesting overall in San Francisco because I, I honestly don't know. I don't know where what person is going to end up in that position. And I don't know what other positions are going to end up opening up as the offseason continues to move forward. I want to stay on, on San Francisco a little bit. Um, there's there's three names that have kind of come out as the favorites when it comes to like San Francisco News Chronicle and stuff like that, as, as far as they're talking about. Those three names are Kai Correa, which basically took over, or he was in the dugout at least with, with Gabe Kapler for, for most of last season. Uh, he's, he's considered a favorite. This is news because it'd be the first female manager Alyssa, I want to say her last name is, is pronounced uh, Nakin or, or, or Nakin. I, I don't want to. Nakin. Nakin? Perfect. Alyssa Nakin. Alyssa Nakin. Okay. So the big news there is, is this isn't just someone they're playing out of nowhere. She's been a manager with the Giants for a very long time. Right. So we'll, we'll get into that conversation in a little bit. And then last but not least, and this is my personal favorite because of the name, Jason Baratek. Jason Baratek has been rumored. He's, he's got interviews with the Giants, and I'm, and I'm super excited about that name because if you told me, the, the Yankees are going to interview Jason Veritek. Oh my God. I would send Aaron Boone out in a boat to the middle of fucking nowhere. Like fucking Columbus. Go find me some new land, bitch. Like get the fuck out of here. I do not want to see you. We got Jason coming through. But <laughs> Nick. No, that, would never, that would never, that would never happen. But <laughs> we're going crazy. I, I, I mean, I wish the captain of the Red Sox. Former captain of the Red yeah, Sox. named manager of the Yankees. Craziness. Craziness. <laughs> Jason Veritek would never do that, right? Like, like I, I know that. I know that's like that, that's like a pipe dream. Yeah. But <laughs> Nick, man, I want to start with you because you are recently a renowned. Like, you found Jesus again in the Giants now that Gabe Kapler's gone. So, like, as a fan, what, like, do these names interest you? Is this something that you're like, I'm really excited for this particular name? How do you feel about this? Yeah. So uh, the the Giants finally purged the devil that was Gabe Kapler, and I'm back. But um, I mean, there's definitely, these names are definitely interesting. The other one that you didn't say that actually interests me the most is Steven Vogt. He actually interviewed for the job as well. A former catcher, um, along with Veritek. Look, I'm a classic baseball guy and I like results. Catchers as managers are fucking amazing. They are the ones that know every aspect of the game. They know hitting. And you know what? They know it a little bit better than a lot of other hitters because they always suck at it. Sorry, Daniel. But usually they're not your best hitter. So, like, because of that, they know the hitting game very well. They obviously know the mental game from p- controlling a pitching staff, how the game flows, how to put people in the right spots. And they just always have the vibe of the team. They have the vibe of the game, the ups and downs. How do you minimize the lows and how do you maximize the highs? It's just natural when you're behind the plate for so many years. And both of these guys were behind the plate for so many years. The reason I might like vote a little bit more is he was always a journeyman. He always seemed to have to work a little bit harder. He never had that consistent spot on the team. And he can connect with a lot of players, a la Joe Torre from the Yankees. A lot of his success was his ability to connect with every single player on the team. And Joe Torre was obviously a better player than Stephen Vogt. But in the same sense, that connection to who you're going around with, he's comical when he needs to be. He's serious when he needs to be. Um, if anybody saw his last game in Oakland when he hit that that bomb, like you could see the emotion pouring out. So he clearly loves the game. Um, for me, just from what I've seen in the years, that would be my guy as a fan that I'd want to see come in and run this team. He's also played in San Francisco, so he has an idea of what's going on. Um, to be honest, Kai Correa, I think, was just a we have to hire, we have to interview this guy. I, I don't know how serious they are about him simply because. I've never heard his name come up and why the Giants either have success or don't. And he's been on the staff with Gabe Kapler the entire time, if I'm not mistaken. Alyssa Nakin is very interesting. Um, she has been on the team, I believe, as her first base coach and a, an assistant hitting coach for the last three years. Every player talks highly of her with her intelligence, the way she knows the hitting game. What I haven't heard is literally anything else. And I get it. She's an assistant hitting coach. 
So that's going to be her focus. That's probably what we're going to hear of the most. When players are going to talk about her, they're going to talk about how does she help them in the cage? How did she help them with the drills? How did she help them on the field? But as a first base coach, I would expect to hear other things from her about her, how she helped me get through this time, how she helped me with a little bit of my defense, how she helped me understand, you know, what the position was uh, as far as the outfielders for a certain play. I haven't heard any of that in her three years there as a first base coach, whereas their previous first base coaches in a Bam Bam Mullins, I heard about that guy all the time as a first base coach. Granted, he was there quite a bit longer, but he was the guy that you heard about more than just hitting and more than just on first base. So um, I think she would be very interesting. I really don't know if she's ready for a managerial spot. She is absolutely ready to be a coach in this league. Um, and But as a manager, being able to control the entirety of the game, I haven't heard or seen enough about her to know if she's ready for all of that. That's a huge jump to go from assistant hitting coach and first base coach to manager of the San Francisco Giants. This isn't the manager of the Royals, the A's, you know, these teams that we know are, they have this ability to suck and suck and suck, and but still take positives from your season. Like if you are better, you can even go down by a couple games from your win-loss total, but have a new prospect come up and your season's good. So that's not the Giants. Like the Giants' expectation is to win year over year. Even this year, it's a disappointment. And they were terrible. They put a par- terrible product on the field they didn't have any players that you're going to go out and spend money on for tickets. But yet to, this year was still a downfall because of the fallout that they had. Um, I'm really interested to see who they go with. I don't know if there's going to be a dark horse kind of coming out of nowhere. But between who I've seen, Stephen Vogt would be my guy. I would love Jason Veritek as well because he's won. And anytime you have a manager that has won everything as a player, you can always hold that over every player that wants to challenge you if they do and say, look, I, I've literally been to the top as a player. Why would you not listen to me? You don't think I have some sort of insight? I've played with Hall of Famers. We've played at the highest level and won. Why would you not listen to this? So I think they've got a good list of candidates that can really take them to the next level. And with Vote and Veritech, I think between those two, you've got a real difficult choice on who's going to take it that next level. But also either way, I don't think you're going to have anybody that's not going to be successful for them going forward. Alyssa Nagin, I just don't know if she's ready for that next level. And I really do think Kai Correa was just, we have to interview you because you've been on the staff. So I'm going to say something that's very, um, how can I put it, offensive. So for Alyssa, she's been managing for 10 years. That's way more than Aaron Boone was managing before he got the job at the Yankees. This man was working at ESPN being a fluffer for basically Sunday Night Baseball. Like, before he got his manager job. And I get it. It's different when, you know, his dad was a manager for 18 billion years and an unsuccessful one for the most part. He's He spent time in the major leagues uh, as a player. But I think where we're at right now, like, I don't think we need the, the you know, pre-existing kind of uh, managerial experience before you get that, that managerial job. Uh, you know, an example of that is like John Schneider with the Blue Jays, who fucking sucks. But he managed for a long time, so they're like, "Hey, you know, maybe you could be the, the 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 manager here for the Blue Jays and not make us ass, which hasn't happened because they're very, you know, they've underperformed." But Rob, man, what about you, man? What, what do you think about these rumors? Is there is there anyone in your mind that you think that they should go after? Yeah, look, I think I'm a, I'm gonna throw a side thing at you. I think the most interesting thing to come out of the San Francisco Giants manager rumors is is this right? Like we just spent a couple minutes looking at it and we na- essentially named five people right which are which are i would say are the five favorites right now that that we've heard reported connected to the giants so jason in no order jason veritek bob melvin Alyssa nakin uh steven vote and kai correa right like th- those have some type of connection kai correa being the bench coach um Alyssa nakin you know being being uh, uh connected to their to their system coaching there um, Bob Melvin, which might make the jump over for the Padres, um, and then uh, Stephen Vogt and Jason Veritek, uh, which I agree with Nick completely have that former past of being catchers. And we know that catchers tend to be, for the most part, pretty successful managers um, in the MLB. I think the interesting thing that's come out of that, whether no matter who ends up getting that position, is the fact that we have not heard Joe Espada's name after Joe Espada was a top three candidate to get the position when Gabe Kapler got that position last time. And I think that might point overall to some of the other conversations that we're going to end up having this offseason, right? Because we know the Mets position is open. The Angels position is open. The Guardians position is open. A lot more attractive positions might be open out there, um, even outside of the of the San Francisco one. But the San Francisco one is 
it's going to be interesting overall. I, I do think, I do think simply because I think that both teams need some type of philosophical change. I do think Bob Melvin might end up being my betting favorite right now, just because I don't, I don't think that San Diego can go past this season and still have Bob Melvin as their manager. And I don't see a situation where if San Diego lets Bob Melvin go, I don't see a situation where Bob Melvin enters this next season without a managerial position. Um, and I think San Francisco would be that most natural transition for him. I'll say this with Joe Spada. I think the reason why we haven't heard his name is because the Astros are still in the playoffs. So he can't interview right now out of respect. They're probably not going to ask him to interview during this time anyway. But, man, I, I, I forgot where I saw it, but I've heard really interesting things out of the Mets, right? You know, we know Buckshire Walter's not coming back. I've heard rumors saying that they're big favorites for for um, Dave Roberts. If Dave Roberts doesn't resign with Dodgers, if something happens where that relationship doesn't you know continue past this year, you know someone else who has kind of been rumored in, you know around for for a few years, but nothing's really happened because the last time he really had a real interview was with the Dodgers was Scott Hairston Jr. He's someone that had been rumored to be waiting for a managerial job, and he really wanted a Dodger job, you know, but. I mean, I don't know. I think Joe Spada does get get a look at after these playoffs where the Mets make perfect sense for him, I think. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see, man. I if, if I'm if I'm the Padres, I send Bob Melvin on very happily. I say, Bob Melvin, yes, leave. Let, let's see who else we can bring in here. Um, which isn't easy, right? Like it's, it's not like San Diego is a, a, an easy thing to replace with all the personalities you have there. But all right, man, look, let, let's get to the meat of this stuff, dude. Let, let's get to these playoff games. And I want to start in the NL because the NL, look, we, we talked about the home field advantage that the Phillies have, and they pretty much look unstoppable at home. However, what I don't think we expected was the Diamondbacks to come out at home and look as good as they have. It's been, it's been a series of the home team, you know, even, though, even though Philadelphia won game five in Arizona, it's still been a series where the home team seems like they, they have an advantage at some point. Uh, we've seen we've seen a lot of good things this year. We saw one bad game, which the you know Diamondbacks get, get blown out. Game two, uh, that was the Merrill Kelly game. Uh, other than that, every game has been pretty close. We've had walk off hits. I mean, we've had big hits from from Rob's boy uh, Alec Thomas out here hitting home runs, tying ball games. Ketel Marte showing out, showing hey, look, man, I was in the MVP conversation once upon a time. I'm still here, right? Like we've seen. We've seen a little bit of everything. Um, I'm going to kick it to you guys. You know, these, game, these, these games are still going on. we got two more games. Next time we're, we're talking, we'll be talking about the World Series. But so far, what have you, what have you enjoyed from this Philadelphia and uh, Arizona series? And, and, Rob, I'll go back to you, man. Yeah, man. There's a lot to enjoy with this, with this series. I think, you know, we, we talked about it before. I don't think any of us had this series being here to the point where we're about to enter a game six. I think, I think if I remember last episode, I think we all picked Philly to win this series um, no later than five and, and they're going to at least six. So, uh, you know, that that's one thing that I, that I mentioned where you have to give props to Arizona because at least Arizona is putting up a fight um, and, and they're putting up a fight with a talented roster. I, I mentioned that before, they might be the most underrated roster in terms of just pure talent from the teams that made the postseason this year like you're getting contributions from from again players whose whose regular season stats are not necessarily going to be there all the time right you've gotten your 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 performances from alec thomas in big moments you've gotten your performances from gabriel moreno in big moments who's still young and is still projected to have a bright future right so like you're it's more of like you're getting these guys performing and giving you these big moment standouts instead of just consistent like you know like wow top tier like this is elite team baseball right but arizona is putting up a fight in their own sense like i've talked about it before i just think they're running into a phillies team who is overall just more talented than them bryce harper is set up to be essentially the best player in in this postseason um and he's 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 been showing that you know he's been putting up the numbers for for philly Already, I think what was it that he isn't he tied for first or or he's currently second all time in in Philly's postseason homers, like which is essentially just off of these two seasons. Like he's going out there and just destroying the baseball. So there's nothing you can you can hate on on Bryce Harper for that. And I think one key point as well, which we've also seen not just in the CS but overall in this postseason so far, 
is it's important to point out Aaron Nola's market is going to be very interesting when this offseason kicks off. Because again, we talked about Aaron Nola was my pick to win the Cy Young this season. He did not throw like a Cy Young this year during the regular season at all. But these are the moments that we're talking about. The same way that that the market could shift for guys like Jordan Montgomery over in the AL, um, which we'll speak here in a bit about. It's the same thing for a guy like Aaron Nola. He's he's three and zero with under a one ERA in the postseason so far for for Philly this year. He's got, if he throws a a good game, which honestly is what I expect. If I had to call it right now, I would say this this is done in Game Six. Aaron Nola just you know take, wins it for for the Phillies and the Phillies punch their ticket to the World Series. That's a that's a a really good showing. Obviously, you want to see how he would do it in in a situation where the Phillies move on to the World Series, but. Aaron Nola this postseason has won himself some significant money in these contract negotiations as well. So that's going to be interesting going here. But I think this I think this series is, is reaching an end here in game six. Oof. I'm going to kick it to Mr. Phillies for this week. Is that is that uh, Mike Schmidt again? Wait, nah, that? this is just a blank jersey. This is just a general Phillies <laughs> jersey. So, uh, man, this series... This series has been fun. Yeah. Yeah. This series has been fun. Um, not expected. I did say Phillies in five just because I never predict a sweep. And the uh, the Phillies bullpen decided to say, fuck all that. We want to play some more games. Um, that bullpen is really what let them down, which is what we've talked about in the past. But when it comes to literally everything else, I mean, starting pitching, Aaron Nola, Ranger, uh, Ranger Suarez, and Zach Wheeler are just, I mean, none of them have an over 188 batting average against, which is Wheeler which is the guy who we're talking about dominating. Like, he's really the one getting the spotlight. And at least in this NLCS, he's doing the worst. 0.77 whip is the worst from your starting staff. That's that's not bad. That's something you're going you're gonna to take. Um, it's I mean, the Phillies are doing what the Phillies have done the last two postseasons, which is just hit the shit out of the ball. Um, one thing that's impressed me the most, Carl Schwarber, you know, we know he is a postseason guy. He came back with the Cubs after being out all season, had that incredible run. What has impressed me the most out of everything that I've actually seen while watching these games is when you go to that Exmo, that super slow motion on every home run that they hit, every single time I watch anybody hit, it doesn't matter what hitter it is. It could be some of the best in the Miguel Cabrera's, the Albert Pujols's. The bat wiggles just a little bit when it ball, when the ball makes contact. It's like it's a little piece of rubber, and I never see that with Carl Schwarber barreling a ball. It's like the ball is absolutely just getting in the way of the bat and nothing else. It's like the ball has no effect on that bat when he hits it. And then when you see it fly like a golf ball going out of there, you understand like this dude is just built to hit bombs and that's it. Well, he's decided to go and hit 412 in this series. Like that's his batting average for the series. As a leadoff guy, it's it's amazing what he's doing because then you follow it up with Harper, who's got a 1.164 OPS in the NLCS. Studly, right? Well, Schwab was like, oh, hold on here. Hold my beer. 1.898 OPS. Like, it's insane what he's doing. He's almost doubling what we consider an MVP type of OPS. Short sample size, sure. But he is seeing some of the best pitchers in the National League in Gallon and Merrill. Like, these guys have been good all season, and he's making them look like they're playing for the Royals in the A's. It's, it's interesting to see how good he turns it on in the postseason. But... This is, you know, kudos to the Diamondbacks because I didn't see them winning. I really didn't see them winning a game, much less two. And the fans in Arizona have really showed up. They're not the fans in Philadelphia, nor is anybody else right now. But they are showing out. They're being loud and they're being loud at the right times, which for me as a baseball, you know, watching the game for so long. It's interesting when you have fans that just cheer when you versus when you have fans that cheer at the right time. That's when you know that they're engaged. And I think as a pl former player. If the fans cheered because of a home run, it was like, cool, yeah, his home runs are exciting. But I'm watching the Arizona Diamondbacks fans cheers on good plays, good defensive plays, good base running plays, um, you know, taking the extra base, a nice diving catch, a good throw, even a good stop. I forget who it was, but they made a stop. I want to say it was Perdomo that stopped a run. It did, He didn't get an out, but he stopped a run from scoring because of the play he made on the ball. Um, Trey Turner went back to second instead of to third. That's a big deal, and the fans were cheering for that. They knew that that was a big moment in that game to stop an extra run from scoring. So I just I love the atmosphere that's there. I don't see how they win a game in Philadelphia. You do have Aaron Nola going on the mound, who has had his blowups in the postseason, don't get me wrong, but he looks like a different pitcher right now. One thing that's a similarity for me between Nola and Wheeler is how smooth and loose their motion is, and it always has been. It's not... They're not guys that show you the ball early. They're not guys that are herky-jerky. They're very smooth. 
And when you have pitchers like that, sometimes it can be really easy to pick up the ball. And I think that's Nola's case. And sometimes is when he gets too smooth, the ball becomes the ball is shown to the hitter early, particularly when he brings it back. Right now, he's hiding the ball really well. He's got a lot of late action on the pitch. And Zach Wheeler as well. He's got the best extension in all of Major League Baseball, which means the ball is going to get on you a lot quicker as a hitter. So it's more deceptive because he's throwing it actually closer to the plate. Even by a couple of inches, that's a big deal as a hitter. And if you can tunnel that the way Wheeler's been doing it, you're going to get the results that they get. But just offensively, I mean, your best guy on Arizona is Cattell Marte, who's having an outstanding series, hitting 429 with a 1.026, but he's got two home runs, or he's got one home run and two runs. That just shows you what the rest of the lineup is doing. If you're getting on base that much, I mean, he's getting on base at a 455 clip, so almost every every other bat he's on base, but he's only got two runs scored in the series. The rest of the team really needs to step up, and Torrey Lavelle has done some good things with Alec Thomas. He's moved him up the lineup. Um, he mixed in with Pavin Smith, who is hitting 375 in the series through his eight at-bats. He's actually mixing it up and trying to get some more offense in there, which is what you need to do. But if you have Nola coming out here and dealing, and I mean, even saw Ranger Suarez warming up in the bullpen the other game, just because that's how Rob Thompson is treating the series. Every inning is very, very important. If you get some pitching like the Phillies have been doing outside of the bullpen, it's going to be a tough win for Arizona. But I would love to see this game go to a game seven and Philly get upset. I'm rooting for Philadelphia because everything they're doing, I'm enjoying the way they interact with each other, the way they interact with the fans. I mean, they were literally pointing at the fans in Arizona every single time they did something good. So they are engaged just all the way through. And that's the type of baseball I love to watch. I Talking about to the next level, the Phillies I see having a chance to win the World Series. The Diamondbacks, unless they have their power surge like they had in the Divisional Series, which they've been missing through the NLCS, I don't see them really competing with either Houston or Texas. So just from that standpoint, I'd much rather see Philadelphia and it looks like they're going to pull it out. I would save in the next game. I don't know how Arizona wins one in Philadelphia. You know, what I love about the series is that the guys who you paid up for, the guys who, if you talk to some of these like sabermetric metric nerds are like, that's not, they're not worth the contract, <laughs> right? Like the guys who, who like Kyle Schwarber is a positionless player. You know, is he a DH? Yeah, I, I guess. But he also plays left field a lot for them terribly, right? He's built like a first baseman. He came into the league as a catcher. Like, like Kyle Schwarber is just a dude that fucking rakes. Right, and you pay him to produce the way he's producing, and, and and I've said this with the Phillies in the past. Here is over one sixty two. I have my concerns about them. They're, they're not a team that over one sixty two. I'm like, you know what? I, I think that they can get it done. Right. I, I think it's a team that struggles to keep that kind of intensity. But in a one game, like 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 in a, in a playoff series, holy shit, are these guys locked in? And it's and it's all of them, right? We talked about Trey Turner. He's had he's had he's quietly had a great postseason. Uh, you talk about Bryce Harper. Very loudly had a great postseason, right? Kyle Schwarber hits a home run every time you look at him. It's disgusting. I think he he leads the league in, in, in he has more home runs in the postseason than most guys had this year in the major leagues, like 100 through 162, right? Like they paid up for these guys, and the talent is showing out, right? So for, for so for everybody who's like. Oh yeah, you have to, you know, bargain value these wins together. Then you watch the Philadelphia Phillies play, and you're like, you could take that plan and shove it up your ass. Zach Wheeler, right? Zach Wheeler, again, over 162, he was a guy who traditionally he gets hurt a lot, right? Like he his thing before he came into the Phillies was he he's always on the shelf. Comes into Philadelphia, he's been, you know, he's been healthy. And then you see why they pay him. The playoffs. He has amazing stuff. Um Aranola, he's a sketch ball. Really, this this season was not this greatest season, but you put him in the in the playoffs and his talent is showing out, right? And this is this is you could go down the list with these guys. And then here's the, for me the best part is the role players, they're playing up a level, right? So like Alec Baum, we're not going to mention Alec Baum this series, but the stuff he's done just defensively, just on the defensive side of it, ha- has been sick. He you know he was that guy that notorious said I hate playing here. Right, like uh, I think it was this year, or last year, and you know what? He's been an important part of that team. Bryson Stott, not gonna get talked about a lot. Bryson Stott goes from being a low ceiling shortstop to potentially being a top seven second baseman in, in the major leagues. Um, I mean, center field Brandon Marsh. 
I don't love Brandon Marsh. I, I honestly don't think he's that good. But he plays up. He's been playing up this postseason. And last postseason, too, right? So you got to love that. On, on the Diamondback side, it's a young team. And I think, if, if anything, if you're a Diamondbacks fan, you just have to be excited that the guys are playing like they're, like they're playing. Like, Gabriel Moreno, like, he's good. We're going to be talking about, about him as one of the top catchers pretty soon. He's, he's that good. He's, he's done it defensively. He's done it offensively. Same thing with Corbin Carroll. He's shown out. We, we got contributions from Alec Thomas, who, again, he's someone that, as an Arizona fan, he's, he's a young guy you should be excited about. I, if you're disappointed about one thing in, in Arizona, is Zach Gallen hasn't really come out and been the ace that you needed him to be, right? Like, I, I know that, that lineup's amazing in Philadelphia, but for your, your ace guy, right, you know, good pitching beats good hitting, he hasn't really done much to, to affect Philadelphia. Um, like, he's kept it close at, at best. Uh, if anything, I'm more interested in the guy who we can't we can't even fucking name at the beginning of the the guy who pitched the first game. Uh, what's his name? Fat or some, someone pronounced that? Brandon Fought. Fought. Brandon Fought. Yeah. yeah, but it, it but it's spelled like someone who had who had a seizure of saying it. So so Brandon Fought like he looked great. I, I thought his outing so far in the in the NLCS looked amazing. But it's it's a team of the future, right? Like I'm I'll be honest, with you, I'm, if I'm looking at that team, I'm more excited about them than I am. I don't know, some other teams in that division like the Dodgers who pay a lot more money and didn't produce much, much more than they did. Um, you know, taking it to the ALCS, the ALCS for me has become this kind of revelation of I think we're getting to a point where we have to talk about the Astros in just a whole different light. And, and maybe not as a team because, you know, they, there's history there, obviously. But when we look at guys individually, like, look, we got to talk about Jose Altuve being one of the best postseason players that has ever played in the MLB. We just have to. Um, you know, when we when we look at other guys like Jordan Alvarez, just one of the best bats we've ever seen in the postseason, we can, we should have him in conversations up there with, like, Big Poppy. Two really good teams playing really good baseball who both want it really bad. Um, this is one where nobody's really made a mistake. In, in the wins and losses, it's been the other team has just kind of put it together a little bit more and beat them. Um, and to your point, you know, the names, they're, they're working on their, their legacy. They're working on their history. They're part of the game right now. Um, even Justin Verlander, you know, like he had some rough postseason outings before coming to Houston. And he's really turned around since being here to being one of those clutch guys. I mean, I remember a few years ago, he was in the same conversation as Kershaw, which is having blowups in the postseason and being, you know, this Cy Young, Perennial Cy Young every single year, MVP candidate on the mound during the regular season, but then when he gets to the postseason, who is this guy? And he's turned around. You know, the other day when he gave the home run, he came back in the dugout and was just super pissed at himself. And at 40 years old, with all the success that he's had, what he's doing, while maybe you want to say throwing a tantrum in a moment, he's also you know engaging his teammates. Like, look, this is the guy who's been here, done this, and he makes one little mistake that actually doesn't really hurt us that bad, and he's mad at himself. He's striving for perfection because that's what we need. That's going to feed into everybody else. And then you got a guy like Jose Altuve, who you're right. I mean, he's putting himself up there in one of the greatest postseason players ever. You know, a couple more years, he might have the most postseason home runs in the history of the game, passing Manny Ramirez. That's insane to talk about a guy who's four foot three doing that. Um, you know, like it's it's just absolutely insane what this guy can do. And every single time Jose Altuve does something good, it's like he's done it before, and he has multiple times. But there's never that outburst of emotion, whether it be negative or positive. And that's very calming to a team that's kind of following. My big surprise in this series so far from Houston's side is uh, is um, Turner. He's just not he's not there. Kyle Turner is not there for them right now. Or, sorry, Tucker. He's just not putting out the bats. But he's got so many other guys that are producing for him. And then just overall from Houston, like they're just up and down. They're just good. They might be the best team in baseball when it comes to all year round. The Braves have a good, you know, lineup to put against them. But we've seen the last two postseasons that the Astros are just a different team in the postseason. It's almost as if they expect it. And today's game is going to be really interesting because Framber has been kind of all over the place this postseason. And even through the regular season, I mean, he has a no-hitter. And then all of a sudden, he's not even anywhere near a Cy Young candidacy over the last month where he was maybe the front runner going into it right up to that no-hitter. So it would be interesting what, what Valdez does tonight, what Framber does. Um, as far as Texas, man, 
I thought they were early. They have the talent. Don't get me wrong. You know, when you've got a Seager and a Simeon and the way Heim was playing, the way Josh Young played this year, they they played out of their minds. They're in the right spot, being one of the top you know teams in the division, in the league. But I thought they were a year early as far as playing together as a team. I wasn't sure they were ready for this Houston Astros challenge. And they absolutely have been. Um, I don't know if it's all Bruce Bochy. I have not watched these games close enough. I've really been focused on the NLCS as far as watching. But the Rangers have battled a lot more than I thought they would. And it's not just it's not just them hitting better than I maybe thought they would or pitching better. It's actual battles. Some of their bats that I've seen where they're they're taking close pitches and being correct. Um, even the Adolis Garcia, like he went way too far over the edge with what he did as far as thinking they threw at him and starting all that the fight. But at the same time, I like to see that passion from anybody on any lineup when you're in the postseason because every single pitch matters. And him getting so mad at getting hit to me means that he wanted to hit. He didn't want to just get to first base because he got hit by a pitch. He wanted to be getting on first base on his own. He wanted to be a part of keeping the train going for the team. Maybe even hit a bomb. I'm not really sure. But um, the passion that's there, the series has been fun for, from the highlights that I've seen a couple games that I've watched. This one could very easily go seven, and Texas could upset Houston. But I think Houston's going to take it at home. As long as they wear their road grays, they'll be fine. Dude, I what I, what I love about the series is that it feels like everyone's contributed so far. Like, everyone. Um, Leotis Tavares, right, who we've said he's probably the worst hitter on the, on, on the Rangers. If we really look down, up and down the lineup, he's probably the one that you would be the least um, confident in. He's out here hitting home runs at important times. Right. Um. You you look at the the rest of like the Rangers and and how they got there. Jordan Montgomery, who we were talking about before the show, he's come out so far this postseason and said, "Hey, guess what, guys? I'm gonna get paid next year, based on these this last month." Right. Nathan Avaldi's been good. Um. If it wasn't for the home run off Jose Leclerc, this very hold out to me by the way. Go ahead, Homer, ninth inning. Against Leclerc, uh, game five to put them up to put Astros up three uh, two, ninth inning, uh, postseason moment for, for for Jose Altuve here, right? But without that home run, we're looking at this the series as um, the Rangers up three two, potentially go, going into game six. Uh, Rob, oh wait, one, one one more thing, Jose Abreu, Jose Abreu sucked ass this year. Jose Abreu did not do well this regular season. Postseason, though, he's come up, right? Been great protection for Jordan Alvarez. Uh, game game four, Jordan Alvarez, bases loaded, flies out to as deep as you can fly out at, at, at the Rangers ballpark, right? I'm talking about the wall with bases loaded. Everyone everyone thought the ball was gone. That was a grand slam. Gets caught at the wall. Next hitter, Jose Abreu. You know what he does? He hits over the wall, right? Three-run home run. Big moment in that game. And Jose Bray has very silently had a very good postseason, too. He's up three home runs. He's getting it done. Uh, Rob, I'm going to kick it over to you, man. What, what's been your impression of the series so far? Yeah, man. This Look, this, this series in terms of, of just postseason baseball has been fantastic, like compared to the division series. Absolutely what you want to see um, in terms of excitement level, in terms of the talent that's out there, in terms of the moments that are the, the key moments that are happening and everything like that. But I just want to say that it's disgusting how inevitable the Houston Astros are. Like, like it, like as a baseball fan, like it's 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 like the Chicago Bulls. Like honestly, like that's how it's starting to feel. It's it's the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls. Like because there is no other team in in the sport today that you could point at. And and honestly, man, I don't care what happens the rest of the way. Like whether whether the Astros repeat, whether it's the, the Rangers, the D-backs, the, whoever wins the title this year, there should be no other team in the in the sport that is favored to be back in the World Series next year over the Houston Astros. They should have the, the most favorite odds to go again because it's their system. It's their organization. It's their talent. It's everything, man. It's the usual suspects. We, we're here every year talking about the usual suspects, right? Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez. Like, even the small changes that they make, like, turn out well for them, right? Like, you just mentioned, Jose Abreu didn't necessarily do anything that impactful in the regular season. Here he is hitting home runs in key moments in the postseason for you. Chaz McCormick has been a revelation this regular season and postseason for them, hitting pretty well, right? Like, it's just, they take these, like, oh, let's put this one guy here. 
around this nucleus that we already have. And they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. There's not that much difference when it comes to their starting pitching. While their starting pitching has been down, again, there's not much difference in terms of the names. There's not that much different in terms of the names in the bullpen. It's it's your usual list of, of suspects that keep doing the same thing for Houston. And, and I don't see them stopping anytime soon. Like, to be honest with you, like, we're probably still at least another two or three years removed from them. Yeah, some names are going to change, but Houston could keep this pushing forward with the with the guys they have. Again, we're we're literally watching possibly the greatest postseason player we've ever seen in Jose Altuve. And it's it every year that goes by, it's like things like that start to become less and less of an exaggeration, right? Like it like this the stats are starting to back it up. When when you're number two to Manny Ramirez in home runs overall. And like, and like, it's almost, Jose Altuve is a player who's almost taking advantage of like ev- almost every postseason that he's had. It's not just that like, oh yeah, like he's had a large sample size. He's had a lot of games to do it in. It's that he is one of, like with my own eyes, he is one of the most destructive postseason players I've ever seen. I've seen it done to my Yankees repeatedly. I've seen it done to other teams, whether it's the Rays, whether it's the Twins, whether it's whoever else. I've seen it done year after year after year after year, and it doesn't change I don't think it's going to end up changing for the Texas Rangers, unfortunately. I do still think that the Houston Astros are going to end up taking this series. I will say that for the Rangers, Game 6 is probably their best shot to keep this series alive. You are getting that Eovaldi-Framber Valdez matchup. Framber hasn't necessarily been anything over-impressive. Eovaldi has been consistent for the Rangers this postseason. So going into this Game 6, probably the best shot that the Rangers have to push it to a Game 7. Um, I would still favor the Astros, you know, in, in a game seven or anything like that. Um, but I will also say this, not to throw any side shots, but what we're seeing here with the Rangers and the Astros is a new rivalry forming in a way. And it's funny to see how the Seattle Mariners have kind of like been pushed to the side in the, in the AOS because I, I don't think the Astros or the Rangers are going to let go of this grit in the AOS anytime soon. Again, like I've said it before, like Mariners have to pretty much the Mariners are in a situation now where they pretty much just have to hope that they have an opportunity to get that third wild card for the next coming years here, unless they make a major splash to add to Julio Rodriguez, like we've been pointing out the last two seasons, because as we're seeing in this CS, I wouldn't be upset of a rematch, right? Like, I don't think anyone would be upset if we're seeing the Astros and the Rangers here again next season based off these narratives that are being built off of this one postseason. So, um, and and it looks like the talent is there to potentially make it happen again. They are going to be two of the top teams in the American League next year again, along with the Baltimore Orioles, along with Tampa Bay Rays. Like, they're going to be there again. So, it's going to be interesting. Um, and, yeah, man, they're bringing, they're bringing the heat. Exactly the type of baseball that you want to see. Exactly the type of, the type of shit that you want to see with, um, you know, the Adalis Garcia home run and then the altercation afterward that's what you want to see like it's not necessarily that like you're saying hey go out there and intentionally throw at this guy or anything like that but you want to see some type of emotion you want to see some type of like yo like i'm upset that this is happening right now i'm upset that like you know we're losing or like we did this to take the lead and you're you're getting mad over this like that's the type of energy energy that you want to see you want to be able to watch games and and be able to see in the players that these games actually mean something And it's, I'm not saying that it didn't necessarily mean anything in the DS, but it's kind of like that conversation that we have a lot of the times where it's like a lot of these teams, your top teams, your hundred win teams are always primed. Like, yeah, they're going to have this like great postseason and everything. And now it's like these kind of like, not to say lower tier, but like, you know, like a little, a little bit lesser win teams that are, that are going out there and putting together these like exciting games for the fans and everything like that. Like, like we mentioned with the NL, right? The D-backs are a team that like, even if they're not there again, they're still a young team. You expect them to have years to come to to be able to put a run together and everything like that. And this type of baseball is exactly what the sport needs moving forward. Man, I, I love it, dude. Like, I think right now uh, Astros Rangers have given me Red Sox Yankee vibes from the early 2000s, right? Like, I, I'm a frob. I'm look. I'm a big fan of brawls. I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff happening. Look, we we gotta understand, guys. Like, this is competitive. Like you should be competitive. When you're competitive, like just shit happens, right? And it doesn't mean that they can't like go hang out like in the off season or some shit, right? But I I like rivalries. I, I like the fact that it looks like these guys want to rip each other's heads off. That's cool to me. That that's fun to me. I think that's good for the sport. To be honest with you, where I'm at, and and I like kind of like contextualizing things sometimes with like um 
where what we thought was going to happen in, in the future, what actually happened, how it connects to the past in some way. So these Astros are not the Dynasty Yankees, right? They they Look, let's just be honest. They've spent five years between World Series, right? That, that just wasn't the case for the 90s Yankees. However, they're the closest thing since the 90s Yankees to what we had as far as a dominating team in, in like, the baseball world, right? Where it's very possible that they win a World Series this year, and who knows what to do next year. But, you know, as far as a powerhouse in the playoffs year in and year out, this is that team. It's not a team like the Dodgers, who the Dodgers thought they were going to be that team. And the Dodgers talk like they were that team. But they're literally nobody after the postseason, right? Um, you bring up the Mariners. Look, the Mariners, just on their, their um, like, just about how they talk about it alone, this is a team that's so far away from anything like this. It's not even, it's not even like, Leonis Tavares would join, who's probably the worst hitter on, on, on the Rangers, if we really think about it would probably be the second best hitter behind Julio Rodriguez on, on the Mariners. Like, that's where we're at with that team, right? Like, you know, so, I, Rob, I agree with you, man. The Mariners are not to be talked about until they do something where we should talk about them with. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know, man. Like, this this Ranger team is, is – Nick mentioned they're early. And I agree. They're still a, a young team. Think about it. They're doing it out there without – who's supposed to be the best pitcher in, in the ground. Right, we thought that if we were going to be here today, the Grom was going to be a guy who's in, in the rotation, giving them like actual innings. That's still a possibility next year, um, which means they can get better by not even really doing much this this off season. There's not a lot of contracts that are coming up for them next year. Everyone is there is, is there for for a long time, right? Except for like Montgomery, right? That, that he's the only one that you know he'll probably get a free agency somewhere else based on this postseason, but. We're in a very real world where these next two teams could be the kind of series we want to watch in the AL in, in, the, in the near future here, right? Like, like I said, it's not really Red Sox-Yankees anymore. Those teams kind of fucking suck. Let's be honest right there. That's not a series that anyone's like, oh, man, we need to put some Sunday night t- um, baseball for an eighth time in a row. Like, no, that product is really bad right now. There's, there's no other team. Baltimore doesn't really have a rival, right? The Rays will never have a rival. But rival it's the fucking Rays. Like, let's be honest with you. They can't have people show up at home. There's no one that's going to – nobody cares, right? They're like the little engine that couldn't. But, like, everybody else in the AL, like, nobody cares about the Central. So it really is the Rangers and the Astros that can really take the AL kind of best rivalry going forward. Um, not, not so much in the NL side. NL side, I don't really think we have anything close to that right now. Um, I mean, I, I guess it should, it should be the, the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. But, I mean – Giants have to get back in, into the into the, the postseason. Dodgers have to like not suck and, like once October hits. So we don't really have anything there. But I'm I'm excited for this stuff, man. I, I'm really excited for for it. Uh, the what the Astros are doing, I think directly correlate with with Dusty Baker. We talked about it last last uh, week where what we saw in the DSs is a team go down 2-0, That series was over. In both cases, in the in, in the in the CSs, is both teams are going down. They're like, nope, we have good enough managers to get us up to the next series, uh, which I think is a big deal, man. But we have hopefully two more games to, to, to watch for each series, potentially just one more, but hopefully two more games. Uh, and then we have the World Series coming next week, man. Is there anything that you guys want to see in, in before next week? And, and Nick, I'll start with you. Uh, I want to see Corbin Carroll ball out these next two games, if there are two games, but at least this next game. I want to see him go four for five. He had a great divisional series. He had a great rookie year, and he's kind of disappeared in the LCS. I mean, he's only his his OPS is 295 right now. That was below his batting average for the regular season. So I definitely want to see him step up this game and kind of lead the team. Um, aside from that, I just want to keep seeing this good baseball where teams are fighting. This is This is where you get, you know, the moments – in the postseason and one of the reasons why the baseball postseason major league baseball postseason is the funnest is because with one swing of a bat or one robbed home run like it's one of the few sports where you have the same energy and the same game-changing potential both on offense and defense and it can happen in an instant um so that's what i'm looking forward to that that significant moment for any of the four teams in this postseason to really happen outside of a Schwarber home run. Cause right now Schwarber has like 1700, 
you know, moments, you know, pictures to put on the wall. But I'm looking for, you know, the moment that really kind of solidifies either one of these series going to the World Series. Rob, what about you? Yeah, man. I, look, I'm I'm just looking for some for some more exciting baseball. I, I hope that we could be sitting here and hey, I hope Jordan goes out there and has a three home run game because that's that's the beast that we've been seeing out there. David Ortiz Jr. Um, you know, that's that's exactly what he's been. We talked about Jose Altuve like that. That duo, man, like it, it's just like, it's video game like like honestly, it, it pisses me off how video game like. Jordan Alvarez and and Jose Altuve are when it comes to postseason baseball. Like it's 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 a 99-99 overall diamond duo. Like that's how disgusting they are at the game of baseball. I hope we just keep seeing it because like like I mentioned before, it's not just a it's not just a oh like I'm I'm not cheering for like any of these teams, right? Like I'm I'm a Yankee fan until the end, but one of the reasons why I would like to see a Astros Philly World Series again is because of that narrative and and the narrative that's formed. Like there's a story already being built there, right? It's a rematch from last season. The Astros won last year. The Phillies have a chance to get that ring back. The talent level there is kind of like a matchup that you want to see, right? Bryce Harper, Jordan Alvarez, Jose Altuve, Treya Turner, your Nick Castellanos, your Kyle Schwarbers, your Kyle Tuckers, like your Alex Bregmans. Like there's a lot of talent. Oh, your Verlanders, your Valdez, your Wheelers, your Nolas. There's a lot of talent there. And also like the, the, the story of the franchise is, is perfect for a matchup, right? We've talked about it before. No matter how much someone tries to wipe the history books, we can hype up the Astros while also recognizing that the Astros cheated in 2017, people. Like, that's just the reality. No one's saying that what they have, that, that what they've done since that time isn't impressive. It is. They are the most inevitable team in the game of baseball right now. Understood. 2017 also happened, right? Like, that's just a fact. And the and a team like the Phillies, just you know, like that that hardworking, hard nosed fan base, right? It's almost like the the anti that, right? It's always that anti of like these this fan base really just like wants to boo down on this team that they saw as like you know a team that cheated the product. And it's funny because it's not even a team that was impacted by it. It's not the Yankees. It's not the Dodgers. It's not the Red Sox. It's still the Philadelphia Phillies who are ready to boo down on a team like the Houston Astros, especially because they they beat them in the World Series last year. It's the perfect matchup again this year, people. Not to throw any shade at the Rangers or D-backs, but we need this Astros-Phillies rematch. The way that baseball has been going this postseason, the way that the, that the hitters are hitting this postseason, the way that the narratives are set up, we need this match, this rematch again. And that that's honestly where I'm at right now. I just need that rematch to happen. Yeah, I mean, look, w- what I want to see is I need a 13 to 14 inning game. Oof. A 13 to 14 inning game seven between the Rangers and the Astros. Like, I think we need one of those moments, like those Aaron Boone off Tim Wakefield moments, right? Like, we, I would just love to see something like that. And I don't care if it's the Astros or the Rangers who do it at this point, honestly. But, like, how how amazing would that be to kind of just set up a narrative for the next, not only the next series, but the next few years between the Astros and the Rangers, right? Like, one moment like that got a man a managerial career. <laughs> I mean, like, it just, it's just, is that impactful? So it's, you know, I want to see something like that, right? Like, where we're, we're late in a game, not extra inning game, right? I want benches to clear. I want old men to be thrown across the field, right? Like, like I want, I want to see all. I want, I want Dusty Baker squaring up with somebody. That's that's what I want to see. Okay, in, but yo, yo, that right there though. Can, yo, can you can you imagine? It, I mean, it won't happen just because of the type of managers that they are. But can you imagine Dusty Baker and Bochi going at it on the field, bro? That I can, oh man, I can, I can. oh man, and that would be Dusty. that would be a signature moment. I would love to see that. Yo, Dusty got into it the day the game that Adolis Garcia got hit. He was ready to throw some hands. Yeah. He was, dude, he was, I, I don't know how old he is, but he's like, he's old, man. Like, Dusty's in there. 72, uh, I think. 72. But he looked like, like, like Rocky. Like, he was ready to, to throw down. He's the only manager that wears wristbands. Like, I don't get it. Like, does he sweat? I don't know. But dude, it's, a, it's a, honestly, honestly, not even, like, in the AL right now. Because in the NL, we know, like, what we want just talent-wise is usually, like, Braves, Dodgers. But like in the AL, it's honestly the perfect rivalry right now in the same state yeah. too. Like it's just it, yeah. it's the, it's the perfect rivalry. No, I, I absolutely love it, man. Look on the NL side, this is gonna sound this is not fucked up. I don't want the I don't want the Diamondbacks to keep this up, 
Like they're a young team, and it, and it really does feel like you're watching like JV. Like it, it feels like you're watching a varsity team play a JV team, and the JV team is just really good, so they're sticking around, right? But like the Diamondbacks are so young when you look at them. Like Gallon's a pretty young dude. Um, the guy, the guys who are are pretty, Corbin Carroll's like what twenty two. You know what I mean? Like, and no no offense to them, it's just they just look they just look so young. So it doesn't even really feel like I'm watching like a professional baseball team play. Not because of the talent level, just because of the age. Like they just they yeah, they just look like so um yeah. So I, I look I'm with you guys. I want the, the Phillies and I, I I don't really care whether it's the, the Rangers or the uh, or or the Astros to also be. Uh but yeah, I need an extra inning I need an extra inning kind of just brawl. I need I need some crazy shit to happen. I, I, I love that kind of stuff. So that, that that's where I'm at with it, man. But yeah, that, that, that's it for our show today. We will catch you guys next week. We'll be talking about the World Series. Um, that should be interesting too, right? Right now, I think we're all predicting Astros and, and Phillies on that. A, a rematch from last year. Last year's World Series was not half bad whatsoever. So we're definitely looking forward to that, man. We will catch you guys next week.